good. It is good to worship the Lord. Amen. Open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 44. Genesis chapter 44. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. Genesis chapter 44. As you're turning there, I want you, I want you to picture a basketball court. High school basketball court. A couple of teams playing each other. They play each other every year. They're used to seeing each other. It's nothing new. But this game is going to be a little bit different this year. So there's a few seconds left in the game. And this game is going to teeter on two free throws. The basketball player steps up to the free throw line and they hand the basketball. <clears throat> Big gulp in his throat. Because they're down by two points right now. And he gets two, I'm sorry, they're down by one point and he gets two free throws. The gym is packed and it's completely silent. Except for the tapping of a white cane on the rim of the basketball hoop. See, the shooter's brother is underneath the hoop, wrapping the cane on the rim because the shooter, Matt Stevens, is blind. High school basketball. Matt was born uh, permanently with detached retinas. He lost his left eye in fifth grade and he lost his right eye in sixth grade. And Joe's big brother, or Joe is actually the big brother of Matt, uh, just worked with him as a little child, helped him do many impossible things. He helped Matt learn to ice skate, ride a bike, and to play soccer. But when Joe began coaching the high school basketball team, he thought, I'm going to bring on my little brother Matt as our equipment manager. So he never practiced, never plays with the team. He's blind, okay? But after every practice, he shoots free throws. And his brother Joe stands underneath the rim, takes the cane, and just taps the rim. And Matt, being blind, then just shoots baskets, shoots free throws. Now, he was a uh, designated free throw shooter then for the team because he convinced the referees and the opponents to let Matt step in and shoot free throws as a designated free throw shooter. <clears throat> which brings us back to the Matt's moment in the game. He had missed six free throws earlier in the game. 0 for 6. A little rough. And St. Lawrence is down now eight points to their opponent. Now, it's a full court press is put on, which means their defense came up and played really, really tight on the offense. And they turned the ball over a lot, scored some points, and they caught up within one point with 10 seconds left in the game. Now with 10 seconds left in the game, down one point, the star player for St. Lawrence, a six foot four senior, his name is Ryan Haley, was fouled. So here goes six foot four stud star basketball player up to the free throw line with 10 seconds left, down one point, two shots, surely the game on the line, he's gonna stay there, right? Well, up in the stand, Matt's mom is hoping so. Please don't put my boy on the free throw line. Let him shoot it. Let him shoot it. And Ryan really was going to shoot them until he looked over and he saw Matt on the bench. And this is what he said. I thought he comes to every game, never misses a practice. He cheers us on. He deserves a shot. I mean, it's everyone's dream to make these shots. So out he goes, and in comes Matt. Now the ball bounces under Matt's hand. Mom's in the stands, 
shaking as she's trying to take a picture with the camera. And under the rim, Matt's big brother Joe pings the cane against the rim. Matt lets go of the first shot. Hits the backboard, banks in. Tie game. Crowd goes berserk. Says Joe, uh, his brother afterwards, he asked him about this, because I think it helped that he's blind. He couldn't see the crowd, couldn't see the scoreboard, couldn't see the faces of his opponent or his teammates at that point in time. Crowd gets quiet again, dribble, dribble, tap, tap, shot, swish, up by one. The gym windows nearly break as everybody just cheers and screams. But St. Phil's players forgot to give Matt time to get off the court. And so they raced the ball up. Now with 10 seconds clocking down, nine guys are running around Matt trying to avoid him as he's still at the free throw line, blind, not knowing where to go. And then uh, Ryan comes off the, off the court, off the bench, on. So now it's 10. Then make it 11 because Joe, the head coach, is down at the other end grabbing his brother Matt trying to get off the court with 10 seconds counting down. It was quite a sight to see. And, uh, but that's what big brothers do, right? That's what big brothers do. Big brothers look out for little brothers. The older siblings look out for the younger siblings. Tough times always seem to be knocking at our doors, and wouldn't it be great to have a big sibling answer the door for us? For those of you who are the youngest, can I see if you're the youngest or you're one of the younger siblings? Raise your hand. There's quite a few of you. So a lot of you understand this, being the youngest. It's nice to have a big brother or big sister sort of step in when there's trouble along the way. When I look back at my younger years of growing up, my older siblings, I've got five of them. I've got four brothers and one sister, okay? Now, all I remember for the most part is how they picked on me all the time. When we played Uno, it was a game of black and blue, because usually I won. So then there was this thing called a knuckle sandwich that made my arms black and blue. And, uh, but, you know, we always joked about that in my house. But honestly, there's so many untold stories of how my older siblings looked out for me and how they took care of me and how they watched my back and they stood up for me. Endless stories. We always just pick out the ones where they picked on each other because that's what we do when we get around with each other. But there's so much more that was looking out. Big brothers, big sisters, bigger than you, stronger, wiser. They help you get through tough times, right? We're going to look now. We're finishing up Facing Defeat Victoriously, the series. And today's the final message on this series. And this one, as the family wraps up with Joseph, I want you to see how big brothers how those older siblings should be there for you. And if they aren't, I'm going to tell you who is. And it's a really cool story. So in your Bibles, let's look at Genesis chapter 44. And we're going to start in verse 18. Verse 18. Then Judah stepped forward and said, nah, I better back up, back up, back up, back up. I'm sort of assuming that you all remember where we left off last year or last week. So let me, let me back up. Joseph now second in command of Egypt, okay? He is now, during the middle of this famine, people are coming to him that are starving. So Joseph's family, his brothers, have come into Egypt begging for food, and they brought money with them to pay for it. But if you remember the family friction that we talked about last week, Joseph didn't know how to respond at first. Remember, hurt people hurt people. He put them in prison for a couple of days, and then he finally let them go. But he kept one of the brothers and said, you can have him when you come back with the rest of the family with Benjamin. And then they bring Benjamin back, and this is where we're at. Okay, so let's read on now. 
Genesis 44, verse 18. Judah stepped forward and said, My Lord, let me just say this one word to you. Be patient with me for a moment, for I know you could have killed me in an instant, as though you were Pharaoh himself. You asked us, my Lord, if we had a father or brother, and we said, yes, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, his youngest son. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of the mother's children, and his father loves him very much. And you said to us, bring him here so I can see him. But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father for his father would die. But you told us, you may not see me again unless your youngest brother's with you. So we returned to our father and told him what you said. And when he said, go back and get him, buy us a little food, we replied, we can't unless you let our youngest brother go with us. We won't be allowed to see this man in charge of grain unless our youngest brother's with us. Then my father said to us, you know that my wife had two sons and that one of them went away and never returned doubtless torn to pieces by some wild animal. I've never seen him since. If you take away his brother from me too, and any harm comes to him, and you'd bring my gray head down to the grave in deep sorrow. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in this boy's life. When he sees that boy's not with us, our father will die. We'll be responsible for bringing his gray head down to the grave in sorrow. My Lord, I make a pledge to my father. I take care of the boy I told him. If I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the, the blame forever. Please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. Let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I cannot bear to see what this would do to him. Now, if you remember last week, and you remember the weeks before, you remember how Joseph's brothers were never there for him. They hated him. There was friction there. They, there was never a, hey, let me stick up for you, brother Joseph. There was never that, right? There was just pain. There was abandonment. There was abuse. There was sorrow in that family. Now, many years have passed, and now we're starting to see transformation take place. Last week, we talked about in family friction that all it takes is just a little bit of love to get that going and seeking forgiveness, asking forgiveness, receiving forgiveness. A little bit of love shows a lot of God's grace, and it goes a long way. And as the family now returned to come back with grain, and they brought Benjamin, and Joseph says, oh, I'll let you go back if Benjamin stays with me, and it's like, we can't do this. Finally, big brother steps up. See what Judah says. Remember, Judah dramatically offers to lay down his life for Benjamin. I'm not sure if we all remember, but when there was a decision being made about throwing Joseph in the pit, Judah didn't do that. Judah wasn't, wait, let's not, you know, kill Joseph. Let's not come up with this evil scheme. How about you throw me down the pit? That didn't happen. But Judah's life has transformed over years. A dramatic change from 20 years before. Judah distinguished himself as the one willing to be that substitutionary sacrifice, saying, out of love, for my father and for my brothers, take me instead. That's a huge change. Evidence of a transformed life. Big brother who first came up with the idea of, hey, let's sell Joseph. Let's make some money. Now he's saying, take my life instead. That's a huge change. I want to point out some verses here real quick to you, and I want to show you how transformation of family friction begins. Because when we start showing love, when we start surrendering, 
families can change. Look how this begins. Verse 9, they trusted each other, not accusing each other of, of wrong when accused of stealing the cup. Verse 13, they stuck together when the silver cup was found. Joseph had, had a silver cup placed in the bag of Benjamin in, the, in their grain so that when they were opened up and caught, they were accused of stealing the cup and they were being brought back into prison. It was all a trick by Joseph to bring them back. But when they found that cup, they stuck together. They didn't abandon the favorite son like, oh, oh Benjamin, sorry, you're out of here too. Because you need to remember when Joseph was gone, who did Jacob's love fall upon then? The other brothers? all fell on Benjamin. He became the next Joseph, so to say. So they could have very easily said, this is our opportunity to get rid of Benjamin, but they didn't. They completely humbled themselves for the sake of their favored son in verse 14. Verse 16, they knew their predicament was a result of their sin against Joseph. They said, this is our fault. This is because we had sinned against Joseph. Verse 16, they offered themselves as slaves to Egypt, not abandoning Benjamin, the favored son, their brother. Verses 29 to 31, they showed concern for how this might affect their father. And verse 33, Judah was willing to be that substitutionary sacrifice for his brother out of love for his father and his brothers. That's change. Transformation is happening. How many of you have prayed for change in your family? How many of you have prayed for things to happen different? So when I was growing up, I looked at my brothers and, you know, I had one brother that was off at a, a very strict and strong Baptist college, okay? We're talking they needed chaperones if they went on a date. How's that different than today's college scene, huh? I need to go to my professor and have him write a note that he will go with me on a date with my girlfriend on Friday night when we go out. And we aren't allowed to hold hands. Oh, try that one at one of the universities today. You're not going to see that, right? That's the kind of college my one brother, my oldest brother went to, Okay. On the flip side, i got another brother who's sort of living a wild life, who's making choices that are like, what is going on? And I'm sure my parents are like, why is he living his life this way? This isn't the way we raise our kids. And I remember praying for my brother for six years. God just changes life, transform him. And now I look at his where he is now, and it's completely transformed. It's completely changed. But it took six years of just praying and God working in his life. Sometimes we think, God, fix my family now, right? takes time. Joseph sees this. Now Joseph sees the change. It was then overcome with emotion, years of anger and love. Oh, look what they did to me. Look what they did to me. Look what they did to me. But God is with me. God is with me. But they hurt me. They, they pained me. They, they did all this to throw me in a pit. But God's with me. God is with me. So he's got anger and love battling each other consistently. And then when his brothers show up 20 years later in front of him, all that battle rages and anger is starting to win out, but he shows a little bit of love and it's going back and forth, right? From the inside out, we just sang about this. Love's battling from the inside in the heart of Joseph, but guess what wins? Love wins out from the inside out as we just sang. Look at, verse, uh, look at uh, chapter 45, chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to the attendants, out, all of you. He was alone now with his brothers when he told them who he was. Verse 2. He broke down and wept. He wept so loud the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. Can you imagine the weeping, the wailing of one man that the city hears him? That the palace of Pharaoh hears him? 
so emotionally distraught because all of that anger and all that love collided and finally love wins out and he just spills it all to his brothers. I am your brother. Can you imagine their eyes? Wide open. Lumps in their throats. We, we sold you. It's 20 plus years. They didn't recognize him. He had that big black wig on. He's all changed. His dialect was different. The last time they saw him, he was bruised, dirty, skinny, frightened, being hauled off to Egypt. He was a teenager. Now he's a prince. I'm Joseph, he said to his brothers. Listen to the first thing he says. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that this was Joseph. If, if you were to look at this in Hebrew, because of the punishment they anticipated, now think about this. They know what they did to their brother. He's the prince. One snap of the fingers, one clap of the hands, their heads are off. They're anticipating some kind of punishment. They see this great emotion of Joseph, this manner of revelation of who he is, and the total shock of learning that Joseph was not only alive, but right in front of them. His brothers were dismayed. The Hebrew word here for dismayed actually means amazed, frightened, terrified. Terrified. They didn't know what to say. Their faces were probably turning pale. But look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. Don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves. Listen, does he know his brothers or what? I mean, they're probably like ready to get angry with each other and fight with each other. He's like, guys, don't, no, no, don't get angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Listen to this. It was God who sent me here. Repeat after me. God sent me here. One more time. God sent me here. Do you think you could say that when something terrible happens? Something bad happens at home? you lose your position at work or job or, or find out some horrible news and, and you've moved, you've changed places, something's gone, and you're able to sit there and say, God sent me here. God put me here today for this. How many times do we like to say, I wish I wasn't here right now. I wish this wasn't going on in my life right now. Usually that's what we'd like to say. And Joseph says, God sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Look at verse 6. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more, and it will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Look at verse 7. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive to preserve many survivors. Verse 8. So it was God who sent me, not you. Let me hear you say, not you. Look at the person next to you and point to them and say, not you. Oh, yeah. Because how many times do we look at the person next to you and say, it was you, it's your fault, right? You, you did this to me. It's your fault. Of Joseph, he goes, no, it's God that sent me, not you. For the first time, we have somebody pointing us to say, not you. That feels good, isn't it? It's not my fault. Gentlemen, how many times has your wife leaned over and said, we got to talk. We need to talk. Gentlemen, how many in those moments of time do you have the same stunned faces as Joseph's brothers? Not to talk. You're just waiting for the, what did I do? Right? That's the first, what did I do? What did I do? What did, I, did I say something? It's my fault. 
gentlemen, wouldn't it be nice if our wives looked at us and said, we need to talk, and then they say, it's not you. And then we can all go, oh, okay, talk all you want. I'm all ears for the next two hours. I don't care. Okay, right? Because we get worried. It's right. It's my fault. Did I do something? Do you ever see everybody loves Raymond? I feel like Raymond so many times, like I'm in hot water. I do. It's like, what did I do? My bad. Okay? Not you. It reads on to say this, and he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh. He's the one. Four times in this short scripture, Joseph makes it very clear with his brothers. Brothers, don't be angry with yourselves. Don't, don't fear. Listen, listen, listen. God sent me here. God sent me here. God sent me here, not you. He's the one. He's the one. He looks at his brothers in a very compelling and mature phrase. The only one who's faced pain with hope. He's faced misery with prayer. He's faced darkness with courage. And he says, God orchestrated this. God did this. God sent me here. That's maturity. That's God's spirit at work. That's a transforming life of the one, the one who should be defeated in all measures. You look back, Joseph should have been the one that said, I give up. I'm the first to quit. But he didn't. He didn't. Joseph realized that God ruled his life. Not good men. Not evil men. Not circumstances. You look in your life. You decide right now who's ruling your life. Who's making the choices in your life? Good people, bad people? People with evil intentions? Circumstances? Do they really control your life? No. God's in control of your life. And because God's in control, all things work together for good. As forgiveness is handed out, as the past is being wiped clean, Joseph embraces those who hurt him. Look at verse 14. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin. Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. Isn't that pretty cool? Finally, a family reunion without an argument. A family reunion without friction. Love wins out. The news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. Did you, you know, that's a verse I skim over real quick. I read over real quick. I don't even pay attention, but I want you to read this again. The news reaches Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have arrived, they, they announce. Pharaoh and his officials are delighted to hear this. See, here's why I think I skip over this first piece. I sit there and think Pharaoh's an evil man. He doesn't believe in God, right? The Egyptians were not worshipers of God. So who cares what they think, right? But did you hear what these people who didn't worship God said? He said family matters. See, even unbelievers get that. Even those who don't worship God get that. That families matter. Maybe they don't display things or correct things in a godly manner, but even they got that. Pharaoh and his officials were delighted to hear that Joseph was reunited with his family. That these people who worshiped one God, now remember for 20 plus years, the influence of Joseph worshiping one God was now reaching the 
people in Egypt. This, this palace, this nation did not worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But Joseph stood up under everything when he was in prison, when he was accused of rape, when he was accused of all kinds of false things. He stood up and he said, I believe in one God. Even though we worship many gods around here, I believe in one God. And now that influence of that one believer in a land of unbelievers was now being impacted. And these people, whether they believed in one God now or not, they understood this, family matters. Verse 17, Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, this is what you must do. Load your pack animals. Hurry back to the land of Canaan. Get your father, all your families, return here. I'll give you the very best land of Egypt. You eat from the best that the land produces. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, take wagons from the land of Egypt to carry your little children, your wives. Bring your father here. Don't worry about your personal belongings for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. This famine was in full force. It was looking bad out there. The fields were vacant. Crops were dying. Circumstances horrible. But the family made it through it. The family survived. Now, if you remember in the first sermon of the series, I shared a quote from Max Lucado. Let me read that to you. You'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. In the meantime, don't be foolish or naive, but don't despair either. With God's help, you'll get through this. Why did they make it? Why did Joseph and his brothers, his dad, why did they make it? Why did they survive? Why did it happen the way that it did? Was it because they were good? Was it because of entitlement? My brother's a prince, so we're entitled to all this, right? No. They made it because Joseph was their brother. Joseph, now second in command, had arrived. Because they were related, because they had a brother that looked out for them, they made it. They survived. They lived because they were related to the one who could save them. They lived because they were related to the one who could save them. Look at the person next to you and ask, who are you related to? Ask them. Some of you are looking at me like, uh, you? <laughs> who are you related to? Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 with me. Romans chapter 5. Sometimes you, you all sit there like, he makes us do stupid things. Right? Why do we have to say that? I want you to think about this. Who are you related to? You've got to be able to answer that question. And I'm not talking about your relatives. Somebody more than that. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, ooh, back it up, back it up. We've been made right in God's sight by faith. We're right with God. That's through faith. 
Listen up very careful, okay? Because of that, listen, we have peace with God. Let me hear you say peace with God. Say, I have peace with God. Isn't that a good thing to say? Sometimes people don't have peace with God. But because we're made right with God through faith, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Verse 2. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. Do you hear that? Because of our faith, because of what we believe, not what we've done, not who we're related to, but because of what we believe, we're taken to that place, what Christ did for us on the cross, and we have an undeserved privilege. We don't deserve this. But we can now stand where we are because of our faith, because of what Christ did. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Verse 3. We can rejoice too when we run into problems. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Say that again, Paul. Yeah. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. John Maxwell wrote a book that says, sometimes we win, sometimes we learn. See, a lot of people live a life, sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. If that's the way your life is, you're not going anywhere with this. Loss in life is about learning. Every day is about problems and trials, how you work through those. And you learn from them every step. Parents, every day that you try to correct your children or give them direction, you're ready to give up. Guess what? That was just one more day of learning, of endurance, to make you all stronger. Look at verse 4. Endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Back it up. What did that say? For we know how dearly God what? Well, let's say it again. How, how much dearly God what? Oh, he loves us. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. See, Jesus is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is our King. But would you consider him more than that? Absolutely. Maybe closer than that? Yeah. He's not just Lord, Savior, and King, but you know what he is? He's like a brother. He's like that big brother that some of us have longed for we've never had. That older sibling that looks out for us. Now you say, how can you say that? Let me read scripture from Matthew chapter 12. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. Somebody told Jesus, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to speak to you. And Jesus said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Now, he wasn't playing, you know, like, I don't know who they are. He was just sort of playing with them for a second because he had something really important to say and this is what it was. Then he pointed to his disciples. Disciples are those who follow Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, let Jesus point at you at this moment and listen very carefully. Look, these are my brothers and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my Father, anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister. If you're doing the will of your heavenly Father, if you're obedient in doing what God's asked you to do, you know what Jesus calls you? My brother, my sister. You not only have a Lord and Savior and King, you have a brother 
who stands by you, as brothers, as siblings should. Despite the background of those disciples, and you think about that, are you kidding me? And you think about our background, we are like misfits at times. We mess up a lot, right? We may not have titles or power or prestige, but Jesus says you're more than a believer. You're my brother, you're my sister. Hebrews 2.11 says, So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That's why Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or sister. Hey, siblings, older siblings, you ever been around like, oh, that's not my brother, that's not my sister. You're a little ashamed because you're acting crazy? Serious? I got two boys back there going, and they're my boys. I remember in a moment this year at a school program when one sibling was up on stage and they were singing a song and they had a moment where they could do whatever they wanted to do and somebody decided to do the make it rain dance and a little yeah I can't even do the dance he did and I remember looking at my wife and her jaw was like and she looked at me and my jaw was and I looked at my two uh, sons my oldest sons and they were like And in that moment, they're like, that's not my brother. That's not my brother. Right? You know what's really cool is what Jesus says here. So that's why Jesus is not ashamed. Because we have the same father. Jesus is not ashamed to call you brother and sister. Isn't that amazing? You have a savior, you have a king, you have a lord, and you have a brother. And under that position, under that position, take time to hear his voice. When Jesus says this to you as a brother and sister, come, all of you who are weary and are carrying burdens, come, let me carry them for you. Some of you are in need right now of a brother or a sister to carry your burdens. That's what Joseph did. His brothers came before him. They received so much good, not because they deserved it, not because they traveled a long distance, not because they put themselves on their knees, but because they had a brother who could provide. And Jesus is our brother who provides. And if you're wondering what God is doing in your life right now, and in your family, and you're saying, God, what is up with all of this? How do we succeed? I'm pursuing my dreams. Maybe you're excited right now. You know, some of your seniors just graduating, like, I'm so excited about what's next. But you still have that little question mark above your head saying, not sure how this is all going to work out. Not sure what my plans are. Jeremiah 29, 11 says what? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not disaster. To give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I'll listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, I'll find you. That's because we have a God who loves us. God is able to take our, our pains, our junk, and he's able to recycle all of that for better things. It's pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. I'll never forget the time uh, we went swimming at this local camp park. The place is called Playmore. Okay? It's a big place where, like, on Memorial Day, I don't know how many of you saw all the campers heading out of town and going all over the place. Playmore is a place just about seven miles down the road from our house where people bring all their campers. They had a place you can play miniature golf, a little driving range. They had a big pond with a line that went across 
shallow half and the deep half of the diving board. And we would go there on Sunday afternoons after church every now and then and go swimming. And so we went one Sunday afternoon and, and uh, we loved to, just to go there and swim and play miniature golf. And I remember I was a young elementary age boy. I mean, I was, I was little. And I remember we went swimming that day. And I remember that I crossed the line and I entered in on the deep side. I didn't realize on the deep side, you go about two or three feet out into the water and then it just drops and it's gone. And I went a little further out than I should have went and I went down. I don't remember much after that except my brother Terry who ran off of the shore and dove in the water and pulled me to safety. Um, he was still fully dressed wallet and his pants and everything. I remember after he got me to look up to the shallow water and, and helped me, you know, get rolling again. I remember seeing him sort of, he didn't yell at me. I remember him pulling his wallet out and throwing it down and sort of wringing out his clothes and he didn't get upset with me, but he'd saved me. And uh, if it weren't for my older brother today, it would look very different. Look very different. But that's what big brothers do. They disregard what's going on in their life and they jump in to save little brother. And that's what Jesus did. He jumped into this world to save his little brothers and little sisters. That's us. So in the midst of what's going on in your life, thank God for that. Then do something with that. You see, after I got through that whole incident, um, I was so grateful for my brother in that incident. It caused me to take swim lessons. So I learned how to swim. And then I took lifeguarding lessons and became a lifeguard. Figured that I should try to help save others. See, when Jesus saves you, he jumps into this world as a big brother, big sister to save you, then he says, now, saved you. Now you go take what I've given you and you do something with it for me. That's how we honor our big brother, our Lord, our Savior, our God. Amen. Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the story of Joseph and how it was such a long road for him. So many years of pain and misery and uh, question marks, why? To get to the end of the story and to see what we, I guess we could call a happy ending Lord, you knew what it was going to look like from the very beginning. Joseph did, but he had to trust you. It was a long, long journey. Some of us are in the middle of that journey. Some of us are at the end of the journey. Some are just beginning the journey. For those of us here, Lord, that are just beginning the journey, Lord, we can't do this without you. We ask, Lord, that if there's somebody here this morning that has never placed their faith in you, that today's the day that they surrender and say, Lord, I'm a mess, I'm a wreck, my life is, is just really messed up right now, and I need help. Lord, I pray that they take this moment right now and just seek you. You are a God who loves us, who forgives us. So if we need to seek forgiveness now, we ask for forgiveness of our sins. Cleanse us, Lord. Make us new. Just erase those sins. We're sorry for them. We ask for forgiveness. And you are a faithful and just God who forgives. 
Lord, some of us here, we know we're forgiven. We, we, we follow you, but sometimes we forget. We want to give up. We're tired of the pain. We're tired of, it seems like a drudgery. I got to keep doing this. I got to keep moving forward. Lord, give us what Paul talks about, that endurance of our faith challenges us to endure what's going on. Lord, I pray that this morning that as we move forward that as you jumped out of the heavens into this earth to pull us out of the deepness of sin to save us to revive us, to rescue us Lord, we thank you for that we praise you for that now Lord, we want to take our lives as a living sacrifice we want to live for you we want, to, we want others to know you too we want to be the church in a way that, that just glorifies your name and your name alone. It's not about us. It's all about you. So, Lord, we thank you for coming to this world and saving us. And Lord, help us to go live for you. Lord, as we sing to you the song of worship, we ask that you continue to speak in our hearts. In the name we pray.